when I think nationally and globally, I think content. I think that's the brand building side of it, right? You live in California, you live in Tokyo. I'm not selling you a ticket tomorrow. That's not my, my job is to make you feel the Mets have a culture. The Mets have a brand that you want to be affiliated with that if you wear a Mets hat in Europe, right? If you wear that interlocking NY in a blue hat with orange, it identifies you. Um, but it also relates you to the brand and the brand to you. I want to do the same thing all around the world for our brand. I want people to walk around with pride, whether they're wearing Mets gear or what I call the hidden wear, which is you're wearing, for instance, a pair, a pair of Jordans that are blue, white, and orange. That's indicating you're a Met fan, but it doesn't have the Mets logos all over it. Those are the types of things I want to build with the brand. This is The Changeup. I'm Keith Hernandez. This week's guest is the EVP and CMO of the New York Mets, Andy Goldberg. Baseball and marketing, some of my favorite things to talk about all in one. This is going to be a really fun conversation. Andy is a seasoned marketing executive with leadership roles at American Express and GE before embarking on this new challenge with the Mets. We talk about the major differences in marketing a baseball team versus a global corporation, how building a Super Bowl spot in less than three weeks came to fruition, and the growing success baseball is having with the new rules changes. Also, listen to me try my hardest not to freak out about wins and losses. I need to have Andy's calm demeanor about the Mets. On one other note, this episode will be our season finale. Can't believe what started out as something to pass the time during the height of COVID when I was stuck at home has turned into three seasons with over 75 episodes in total. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in August with a new season. All right, my next guest. I, I say I'm excited when people come on, but man, this is like my dream interview. It combines two of my passions, marketing and baseball. Uh, today, I have the EVP and the CMO of the New York Mets, Andy Goldberg. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Keith. It's nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for doing this, man. I'm really excited about it. So let's jump in, right? Let's get right to it. You, for many, many years, were at GE. You were at Amex. You were in senior leadership marketing functions at major corporate companies. Now you're part of a sports team. What does a day-to-day -day look like? Look, it's wild, first of all, being a huge sports fan, baseball fan, to be able to join an organization like the Mets. I mean, I think there are people who are fans of finance and credit cards, but I don't think it's the same passion you have for baseball. You know, everyone always asks me, what's it like? And I, and I explain it in very simple fashion. I have two different days, typically. There's game days, and then there's every other day of the year. And for us, we have 81 home games, as you know. So it does eat up a lot of time, but it's very different than any other CMO role. If you think about it like this, game days, we're running a brand, we're running an experience, a live experience where you're coming in, you're hosting people. We have 40,000 people in the ballpark and I'm putting on a live show. And at the same time, that's also on TV. So you got 250,000 plus watching it at home. Then the rest of the week, you're doing everything a CMO does. You're doing branding, you're doing ads, you're thinking about your alumni. Now that's a little different than other brands, but we have alumni we have to feature for everyone from Daryl Strawberry to Mookie Wilson and tell stories about not just why we have a baseball team and hey, come out and see us hit home runs or strike out batters, but the experience itself is what it's all about. You don't have to be the diehard Met fan to come out and enjoy City Field. And that's the story we're constantly trying to tell. So we expand our brand way beyond the people who are the diehards who live and breathe with every score and every every at bat. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I'm extremely biased in saying that City Field was my favorite place to see baseball games. <laughs> I've, I've been to about a half 
I think about 14 or 15 across the country. I finally have gotten, I grew up outside of New York City in White Plains and the majority of my friends are Yankee fans. I finally got my closest friends to admit that City Field's a more enjoyable place than Yankee Stadium to see a baseball game. So I have done the same thing too, Keith. Like, it's really interesting. I had a friend of mine here Saturday for a game. I mean, diehard Yankee fan, right? And this was his second game here. And he literally turned to me, he goes, all right. (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty cool here. And maybe I'll be a Met fan. I don't think he will be. Now, granted, the experience is a little different when you come with the CMO. Right. But he gets it. Like, he's like, the food, the views, the way the ballpark's set up, it's just a more fun experience. Yeah. I want to dive into it. And I don't want it to make it a Mets versus Yankees, but kind of just Mets. No, and it's not. How do you think about that experience, right? Of people coming to the ballpark. And, you know, for many people, I'm a little different because I was a partial season ticket holder for a while. So it would come to 20, 30, 40 games a year. But for many, it's a one time a year thing for a family. So yeah. how do you make that accommodating for them? So a couple of things. One, and, and to your first point, I don't make it Mets-Yankees. As a matter of fact, uh, the Yankees need to be good so and the Mets need to be good. So this town's talking about baseball in a positive fashion. Also, if you're going to a Yankee game or you're going to a Met game, you've made that decision on which team you're going to go see. So I think it much more about how am I focused on people's entertainment value and what are they getting for that entertainment value outside of there's nine innings of baseball being played, Mm. right? Because that's the product they're essentially coming to see, but what's the experience that they're having all around it? What's the food like? What are the drinks like? What's the sound like? What's the audio? What's the visual? What are the games in between innings? How is that entertainment? in competition in a sense with a Broadway show, a dinner out, a movie, an amusement park. It's much more of that mindset. And with someone only coming, really the truth is most fans only come once a year, right? How do we get them to come a second time because the enjoyment was so great more than just they saw, you know, a win or a loss, right? They told their friends about in the left field corner, they went to this fake bodega shop (laughs) and they were able to eat you know, a piece of chicken with the bun is a donut instead of a bun. Like that's unique and different. And then the next time they come, they go up to Coke Corner and they're hanging out and it's more of a party atmosphere. They go up to the porch and it's a bar and they're with their friends and couches. Like it's all about the experience. And I think you learn more in the world that I'm in, much more from those entertainment companies. You learn from the Disney's. There's a place in Vegas called Area 15, much more than almost other sports teams. Because I think sports teams repeat each other. And we need to create new environments for fans and customers to come experience. That's amazing. Yeah, the Coca-Cola porch is a funny one because I met Sandy Douglas, president of Coca-Cola. I was down in Atlanta. I just assumed he was going to be a Braves fan. He was like, I'm actually a Mets fan, Keith. I want to own that porch. There's a lot of Met fans around. You find (laughs) out how many people are Met fans when you start working for the Mets. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They start to come out. They tell you about it. There's been a couple of major changes to the rules in baseball. And one absolutely impacts the fandom in a huge way, right? From the viewership, but also time spent in the stadium, right? That's this pitch clock, right? Like, I think the average, I don't have the latest stats, but I know last year was three hours and 10 minutes and games have been averaging about two and a half hours, two hours and 40, 45 minutes. How does that change how you market and how you think about the fan experience when they're spending probably about a half an hour less per game inside the stadium? So first of all, the game moves, right? So a year ago, I'd walk around and People mingle, people go around, they're strolling around the ballpark, they're doing all the things, they're looking down at their phones, they're not really watching the game. 
right? Now they are, which yeah. is a really fascinating social experiment to watch of how it's moved people's attention spans and how people are now focused on the actual game of baseball again, while experiencing all the things I just spoke about. The marketing side of it is we're not focused on the speed. What we are focused on is what happens in between at-bats, mm -hmm. what happens in between innings. That's got a timer on it as well. So how do you make sure you're not disrupting the game and at the same time entertaining the fans in the same fashion? From the point you made about fans are spending on average, let's just say for argument's sake, 30 minutes less, yes and no. And this is an interesting thing that you observe when you're here a lot. So the games are shorter. What is not happening that used to happen in the past is by the seventh inning, people started to leave. Now they stay to the end, which is awesome because you want a full ballpark the whole time. So I think the, the behavior of the fan changes due to the fact that the games are quicker, but it doesn't impact a lot of the things we do. I think it just opens up the opportunity. How do you engage them to stay before and after longer? We opened up a, a bar on the side of the building here. It's called the K Corner. It used to be McFadden's. Yep. Now there's a place for fans to come pre and post. So you create more of the ongoing experience throughout, um, knowing they're not running out of here because it's a three-hour and 30-minute game that no one wants to sit through. There's also been a shift, in, and I don't know how often it's happened at City Field, but I know you know, on, on some of the road games, uh, 640 starts which, you know, that half an hour doesn't seem like much, but when you got two kids under 10 years old, it, it's super important, that extra half an hour. Has that been a, a discussion across Major League Baseball to start games a little bit earlier for fans? It's been discussed, and we talk about it as individually, as, as a team, internally at the Mets. I'm old enough to remember when games started at 740, you know, and then they moved it up to 710. The truth is, and, and, and maybe this is a bit of a, a New Yorker thing in other places, no matter what time you start the game, that's when people are showing up in a few minutes after. Yeah. Um, so we could move it up. I think knowing how New Yorkers commute, traffic, work habits, we've sort of stuck with the 710 as sort of that sweet spot any earlier. And it's, it's hard to get people here. It's a challenge just from a, I have my job. I got to get out of work. I want to have dinner. That flow really yeah. works well. And now with the faster game, again, Nothing changed in the game other than we took out the dead time. With the faster speed of the game, people are getting home at a more normal hour versus 11 o'clock at night. They're getting home at 10 or 10.30, which makes yeah. a huge difference. And something funny I stumbled upon, I think it was like Randy Johnson versus Tony Gwynn. Somebody posted just epic battle on Twitter, right, of this at-bat that they had. And you realize this was early 90s, 92, 93. The speed of the game then is what the speed of the game is today, right? There, there yep. just something happened exactly. over the last 20 or 30 years where people were taking more time and, and doing things that it's actually, you know, when non-baseball fans are telling me like, oh, it's sacrilege that there's a, a clock. I go, well, look at the game 30 years ago versus now. And you'll see that's much closer. The speed of play is so much closer to what it was back then. A hundred percent. I mean, the evolution of stepping out of the box adjusting the batting gloves every single pitch, the pitcher walking around the mound. Now there's stuff to be had there in terms of heart rate and speed and effort, especially with some of these closers who are throwing hundred miles an hour. But listen, I'm on the business side. I'm not a baseball <laughs> expert. I'm just a fan in a sense. But I remember growing up and that's how long a game took, right? Yeah. And it wasn't crazy and it just slowed down. 
So yeah, I get purists going, oh my God, baseball shouldn't have a, a clock. Yeah, but it's back to what it was and it actually moves and it, look, I get home at a normal hour. Yeah, I love that because I have to be in the ballpark the next day anyway. <laughs> so where did you grow up? So I grew up in Manhattan. I'm a New Yorker born and raised. The 86 team was very formidable in my youth. It's actually pretty funny. Strawberry was my favorite player growing up. Now I text with him and he signs off every text with a little emoji strawberry. <laughs> um, you know, so I grew cool. up in New York where I'm a diehard New York Ranger fan, diehard Nick fan, love the Jets. But baseball's special in this city. And I think that's sort of what attracted me to this job. It's unique when baseball takes over this city and it does over the summer but when the teams are good especially the Mets there's a vibrancy to what's going on there's a passion for this team and there's a passion for the sport in New York that's unique compared to most other cities in the country I totally agree right like New York is such a hard city to take over right I remember when the Super Bowl was here a few years ago and there's also a fashion event at the same time where you know Compare that to other towns where the Super Bowl is the only thing they talk about for a week. You know, you could barely get in edgewise. It's like, oh, why, why are all these football players here? Oh, the Super Bowl exactly. is cool. Interesting. Whereas baseball, it really does take over, right? You can't hop in a cab or you can't go into the bodega without somebody talking your ear off about, you know, who did what the night before if the team is, is on fire. So it's a really fun it's part. It's really unique. It's part of the fabric of New York, which is great. It's also why people are so passionate when we do things, good and bad. You know, the Super Bowl ad we did, it was great. It was unique. Yeah. It was different. We did a thing in, in March called Amazing Day, trying to take claim to the city a little bit and give the rest of the city the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the Mets organization and, and the Mets bringing the city to life for them. But, you know, you have to have success along the way too. Uh, but it's hard. It's We're trying to position the Mets and baseball itself as different and young and vibrant and exciting and also entertainment, like I said. And that is that is a change of mindset in a lot of people. And then you have the diehards who go, but just stick to baseball. And it's like, well, right. no, this is this is more than that. So I, I do want to talk about the Super Bowl ad because I thought it was a, sure. a nice stroke of creativity and, and genius to to get that in. It was in local markets, correct? So it was in the tri-state correct. area. It was yeah. in the New York demographic. We're sort of with baseball, you're kind of limited to where you run stuff based on your right. home territory. And what was the impetus? How did it go from creative insight to execution? The truth is I was on vacation in Mexico. Okay. Uh, and I was on the phone with my agencies and we were talking about ideas. And one of them threw out the idea of doing a Super Bowl ad. And I was like, that's crazy, but let's see where this could go. <laughs> you know, with the objective, let's be honest, like the objective is we want to sell tickets. I want fans here. I want to have the, the most fans every time we can, when we can. So the two agencies I have are Giant Spoon, which is our media agency, and Laura Carenti, who's the partner, called me with the Love idea Laura. of doing it. I was hoping and that she's she was. brilliant. <laughs> she's absolutely brilliant. She's an old friend. And then FCB is my creative shop, and I gave them the brief, and we started to run with it. And actually, Laura and Michael, Michael and Metz, the chief creative officer at FCB, Laura and Michael kind of, I think they were a little bit in cahoots because they both had the idea at the same time. They were calling <laughs> me saying, let's do a Super Bowl ad. And I was like, you're crazy. And so I think there was something going on behind the scenes. Don't really remember exactly, but it is what it is. Uh, so it was, it was literally like it was the second week in January. And Steve asked me the numbers behind it, the costs, what we thought we could project in terms of, you know, brand values, ticket sales, et cetera. And he was like, let's go for it. Amazing. And 
then we had to scramble and figure it out. And we shot it at the very end of January down at uh, Port St. Lucie. We had okay, one cool. day to get the players, edited it the next couple of days. And my, my internal team shot it with a production company that we brought in. We edited it in-house and shipped it off. And yeah, it was about a three-week process, which I tell everyone that is absolutely insane for a Super Bowl because you really need yeah. like nine months. Yeah. But the reaction we got was incredible. I think a lot of it also was just pure pride Mets fans had being at home and seeing the Super Bowl ad and going, that's my team, you know, and the different attitude of for years where it was like, oh, the Mets, what are they kind of, they get my hopes up and they dash my hopes. And this was a different attitude. This was like, we got it. And at the same time, we sold a lot of tickets. So it worked. Yeah. So you, you used a QR code and I got to tell you, I ran to the TV because I knew it was coming. I saw like that you guys yeah. were doing it. And, and as a big Mets fan, I was like, all right, that's a pretty good deal. I think it was like four tickets for 50 something bucks or something like that. And so I've raced. Yeah. It was like a $57 offer tied to the super tied to the, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And so did you see actual transactions from it or did you see people calling in from it? What were kind of some of the KPIs that you had for something that, you know, most people look at a Super Bowl spot and say it's branding and it's only branding, but it does sound like there's some kind of lower funnel KPIs for you here. hundred percent. So yes. Yeah, so everyone will tell you like the Super Bowl is this big, attractive moment to build your brand. And we used it for that, but we sort of did a twofold approach. We started in the NFC championship game and we ran an ad that teased out that we were doing a Super Bowl ad with Mr. Met to capture names from an email list. So the day of the Super Bowl, if you submitted your name ahead of time, you got the offer hours before everyone else. Oh, cool. Therefore, you had first dibs at better seats. And then on the day of the Super Bowl, we ran the ad a couple times in the pregame and then in the game. And we saw significant lift in ticket sales, both that day, the following day, and actually for days on end, based on the offer, based on the continued running of it. I mean, that's a direct marketing tactic. That is really what it is and direct response. And it's it doesn't happen often but we were able to use it. I know other companies have used the Super Bowl to launch a sweepstakes or give away a lot of money, but this was a purchase opportunity. And it was also unique in that everyone's mind was on football. Right. But the next day, the baseball season starts, right? Because yeah. the next day, pitchers and catchers report. So let's use that moment when everyone's focused on one sport to give them the attention of what's coming. Yeah. As a fan of the team, it was a fun to see you all plant the flag in the ground that you're here. You're, you're going to have a little bravado. You're going to make a little bit of noise. Then also a fan of marketing. I thought it was such a smart idea to put it uh, yeah. in the market there. You mentioned a little bit there that, you know, for a baseball team, it's hard. You have to kind of stay regional, but there is this global impact, especially, you know, when you sign somebody like Kode Singa and you're getting more and more international players. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? How do you play the regional, national, and global end of the New York Mets? So look, and that's my remit, right? My remit is to grow the brand, both regionally, nationally, and globally. The regional side, that's where we can market and sell tickets and do all the things we want to do. Yeah. When I think nationally and globally, I think content. I think that's the brand building side of it, right? You live in California, you live in Tokyo. I'm not selling you a ticket tomorrow. That's not my, my job is to make you feel the Mets have a culture. The Mets have a brand that you want to be affiliated with, that if you wear a Mets hat in Europe, right? If you wear that interlocking NY in a blue hat with orange, it identifies you. 
Um, but it also relates you to the brand and the brand to you. I want to do the same thing all around the world for our brand. I want people to walk around with pride, whether they're wearing Mets gear or what I call the hidden wear, which is you're wearing, for instance, a pair pair of Jordans that are blue, white, and orange. That's indicating you're a Met fan, but it doesn't have the Mets logos all over it. Those are the types of things I want to build to the brand. I want to build content about our team and our players that isn't really how they hit the ball. You know, Mark Canna, I'll use Mark Canna as a good example. Mark Canna is our left fielder. Mark Canna is really, really into food. Like his Instagram handle is Big League Foodie. I want to dive in with him, his story about cooking. Why does he love food so much? Francisco Lindor, the shortstop, right? He is really into fashion and high fashion. Let's dive into what's in his closet. Let's understand. Let's bring other audiences in. These people have personality. You know, other leagues have done this really well. The NBA is the gold standard, if you will, for this. Baseball can be there. We have a plethora of international superstars. Let's leverage them. Let's use them to tell our story more than just what the game is about, but what lifestyle is about. That's how I want to build the brand, both nationally and globally, and I can do that. Um, But I got to sell my tickets locally. Yeah, I love that. Why do you think that is, right? It's one of my biggest pet peeves with the sport of baseball is when you get a major league baseball player doing a national brand endorsement, they have to wear their full jersey, right? Even there was one where like Bryce Harper was in a T-Mobile commercial. He was still in the Nationals and he had a Nationals onesie on because like somebody came to his door in the middle of the night. He had to open up the door, but he was still wearing a baseball uniform. It was supposed to be midnight. Why do you think that is? I don't have the perfect answer on it. I think a couple things, and it shouldn't be because we don't play a sport where you have a helmet on blocking your face like football. I think basketball is very unique. There are, you know, at most 10 guys on the court at once. You're close in, you recognize their faces. Basketball players also fully understand, most of them do, it's a business. Right. Right. And the ones that are really big, make a lot of money on their contract. And then they also understand there's a whole nother side of the business on entity. They also have more time on their hands. Coming to a baseball team, I learned like, okay, there's 162 games, but you're just watching for three hours a night. Right. These guys show up at spring training in February. They're training before then. If they go all the way through the World Series, it's through November. Right. There's only two and a half months left in the year. So they don't have much downtime. And when they're playing, they really are playing every day. And everyone's like, oh, no, like yesterday, Mets had an off day. They didn't have an off day. They traveled yesterday. Yeah. There's very little downtime to leverage their personality and who they are and do exactly what you're saying, like let them be themselves in a sense in marketing. But I'm trying to break that through. I think they have to be willing participants um, where I think basketball has been trained, I think, frankly, by Michael Jordan to be a willing participant. I'm hoping baseball gets there. I think – We have great personalities. There are guys that are funny, engaging. It's just a matter of leveraging and putting them in the right position. And it sounds like getting them comfortable with it too, right? Like, because I think there's a lot of those unwritten rules I feel like are getting broken by this generation, which is fantastic of, you know, hit the ball, put your head down, run, and that's it, right? Like be anonymous. There's a little bit more charisma and there's a little bit more personality that's being shown. Totally. And they have it and they want to break it out and they want to do it. It's like anything else, align the right brand with the right player, give them the right platform. Someone said this to me the other day. It's like, you know, take baseball, baseball cleats. Yeah. How many baseball cleats you got in your closet? <laughs> yeah. How many basketball sneakers you got in your closet? Right. right. Like yeah. it's very different. How do you adapt what you do? But you probably have tons of baseball hats. 
Yeah, I totally do. Like, yeah. Uh, so, so it's one of those things like, how do you bridge those things that basketball, it's pretty easy. They're wearing those sneakers on the court. I have those in my closet. I have a collection of Jordans out the wazoo. I'm not wearing baseball cleats out of the dinner. <laughs> yeah no it's a very fair point i want to dive deeper into content with you you mentioned a, a couple of great players there mark and lindor that are doing things first give a couple of little bona fides when you're at ge you brought back ge theater right one of my favorite things was the message with slate and panoply that you all produced we did some work together when i was at buzzfeed and in creating ge time machine what kind of innovation do you want to bring to the game of baseball and also to the team the mets that maybe they're not thinking of right now yeah i mean a lot of it is it starts slow. So G theater is a good example of storytelling. I want to do more storytelling here, both documentary style and fictional. I think there's an opportunity in the off seasons to tell fictional stories. So there's a Sid Finch story, like there can be more of that. Right. So I want to explore that. I definitely want to get into more longer form content. I think behind the scenes, people need to understand what goes on. I actually think it's more interesting sometimes, you know, everyone always focuses on, let me follow the player. Okay. Right. Let's follow the clubby. Mm-hmm. Let's follow the, the chef. Let's follow what goes on that you don't know about. I think there's some interesting stories there that could be done. I definitely want to get into a lot of, I call it long form because it can take on the version of episodic okay. or it could be true, true long form film of what the Mets are and can be. There are historical stories we could obviously tell. Some have been done at nauseum around the 86 Mets. There's some stuff that's never been told. Should that be told though? <laughs> I feel like some of those 86 no, I don't know if you need to tell all of them anymore. <laughs> but I think like one of those things like, it's like, oh, you tell the story every day of the baseball team. I'm like, every day the game is broadcast on SNY or ESPN. Every nuance of the game is broken down by the athletic, the New York Post, the Twitter sphere that dives into Metsverse. My feeling is I need to entertain them in ways that they can only get from me because I'm on the inside of the Mets. Whereas all that information I just told you is readily available because at the end of the day, we are a news feed, right? We are providing something that is very public that people want to follow during the game, at night, in the next morning when they wake up They're checking the score. They're checking the report from a beat reporter who's written their story and some of the quotes and everything like that. What they're not getting is the behind the scenes, untold, unknown stories that really only myself and my team can tell. That's where I want to dive in. That's sort of taking that that GE type style approach that will bring, frankly, a broader breadth of information to the Mets and Mets fans. I love that so much, man. Do you talk with the other teams? Is there a CMO conference that you all get together and share swap stories? So there's not a CMO conference. I mean, there actually is a marketing conference. And and ironically, there's only a few CMOs. There's like heads of brand. There's no rhyme or reason for a lot of the title searches within baseball, but beer. We definitely talk. Cool. So it's actually really interesting. So when I first got here, I thought, oh my God, you can't talk to anyone. It's a competition. Right. And I've actually become really close with the head of marketing at the Braves and the CMO at the Red Sox um, and a couple other teams. And yeah, we talk and we talk because we're not in competition. Right. And everyone's like, but you are. No, no, no. The players absolutely in competition, but because I can't sell tickets in Atlanta, they can't sell tickets here. We have to learn from each other. What's working, what's best. How can we understand 
what was effective and what wasn't effective, just like you would in any market research, just you're allowed to kind of talk to your quote direct competitor, but they're not. I love that. You know, the more collaboration, the better in a sense, because all boats rise within baseball. If one team's successful and has good attendance, it's helpful for the other teams. Can you give an example or two of some of the other things that, that you've seen from other teams? You go, oh, that was really good. That was a good execution. So a couple things, things, and, and I'm actually heading down to Atlanta in a couple of weeks. I've seen it from afar. My team talks about it. The game presentation, and that's something that my team oversees and I oversee, is excellent in Atlanta. They just really nail it in terms of, you know, I don't know if you've seen, you've seen it. You're a Met fan, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> when we bring in our relief pitcher, yeah, they turn the lights out yeah. and they have the, they, everyone has their flashlights going, they're doing the chop. I mean, that's a really, they, they do a really well thought out job there. Yeah. You know that experience you're in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. You know the experience and you know, you're there. Frankly, a lot of teams have called us about amazing day. Mm. Um, they were like, how did you do that? Tell me about that. That seems to be really successful. Give me the background. So we share in those types of notes, you know, every team, what's interesting is has their own unique thing. Every team has their unique spin because it's relevant to their fan base and their community. You see it not just in the performance of the team and how they're investing in the players, but you see it in how the fans show up. And I think that's important. So it's unique and different. Some teams do fireworks every Friday night. You know, we do DJs. We brought DJs in. People are fascinated about how we've done that. Learned a lot from like the Dodgers and how they've done some of their heritage nights. Um, they've turned into sellouts because of what they do. So it's really um, dependent on the market. You have to remember, every baseball team is a regional marketer. Think right. about it like that. They're yeah. a regional brand. And that's what's so interesting. It's a regional brand with a global remit, right? Like there's yeah. still that global part. That, that's, that's what's so fascinating. And that's where it. MLB comes in. And MLB helps whole, like weave the whole story together to tell the whole story of why baseball is part of what we live and breathe every day. That's really fun. This week's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Real talk. How's your mental health right now? Personally, these past few months have been rough. It looked like we were out of the worst of COVID, but now we're right back in it. And it's hard for me to focus day in, day out on work when I know so much is going on in the world right now. If you're struggling, you're not alone. It is really difficult managing your mental health if you don't even know where to begin. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with BetterHelp. There's a special offer to change up listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash changeup. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash change it. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. How does the, the wins and losses, right? I don't want to get too hard into it, but how do the wins and losses impact the marketing strategy, right? Like the benefit of being a Met fan, we'll, we'll put it out there, is like we do feel like we have hard luck sometimes, right? Like we get angsty by that. And I know I, I'll be remiss if, if, if I don't say it because my buddy Nick will listen to this. Like I am one of those fans that feels like the sky is falling when things are bad. But when the things are great, I can't stop talking about how great things are. And, and that's like the fun and the joy of the Mets. How does that play into the marketing strategy of, of kind of the day-to-day -day of a 162-game season? 
that last bit's the most important. It's 162 yeah. games. It's a long season. <laughs> you have to think, and I've gotten my team to think much like big brands do. You know, we sat down in March and we said, okay, let's plan out April and May. You know, we sat down in April, we're doing June and July. Now we just did August and September. Like you have to plan for the future, not the current, because what you do with the current is you just react and move based on some data that's coming back to you. This weekend, we have a sellout. You know, if yeah. we have a sellout that weekend, okay, let's think about two weeks from now. But we don't get focused on that in the immediacy. That's more of reactionary. We don't get caught up in the wins and losses. We have to think about the constant drumbeat because back to your earlier point, someone's coming once a year on average, make that experience the greatest experience they've had. Right. You know, from a marketing standpoint, make that moment their moment of the summer. So, you know, worrying about if we're on a three-game losing streak or a 10-game winning streak, yeah, we'll ride a 10-game winning streak. Is a three-game losing streak going to derail us? No. You know, we just got to keep going and and drive home the idea that at the core of what makes it fun here is that we make this idea of amazing, which is exactly what the Mets DNA is, accessible to everyone. And once you make that idea accessible to everyone, anyone can come here and enjoy it. Anyone can watch it on TV and enjoy it. You know, I always say like, if we win 9-1 or we lose 9-1, as long as people were here and had a great time, yeah. they'll want to come back. Totally agree with that. You know, attendance is up. The numbers are up, right? Like it's pretty fascinating to watch and it's fun as a baseball fan to finally see all of this happening. What do you hope, you know, in the next five to 10 years, baseball as a whole looks like, you know, if, if we were to catch up five to 10 years from now, what do you hope the fan base will look like? What do you hope the energy would be like around, around the game of baseball? I mean, I love the speed of the game right now. I think there's a great level set of how it's evolved. I let the baseball people worry about the baseball. I worry about the business. From the business side and from the marketing side, I want that next generation of younger fan. I want to see the crowd filled with five to 25-year-olds. I want that continued passed down tradition of baseball, but with the invigoration of what's cool. I want new technologies brought in from a fan perspective. I want greater use of whether it's apps or wayfinding or VR or AR. How does that get into the atmosphere of the ballpark to make the whole experience that much more? You know, I could definitely see someone sitting there five, seven years from now holding up their phone or a pair of glasses, really, and seeing the game in a new way with stats up in front of their eyes that they didn't have before. You know, with the infiltration of AI everywhere. How does AI change our experience at the game? What modifications are going to evolve from a fan experience that's much more important to me than the game itself? Because the game naturally evolves. The game's been around for 150 some odd years. Like the game knows how to maintain. So one piece of technology that you added this year is the enormous TV screen in the outfield. I mean, I've never seen anything that big. How did that happen? How did that come about? Was Steve just like, go big or go home and let, let's make it the biggest one ever? So luckily I wasn't here when those decisions were made. Um, uh, it was before I started. It was about two years ago they made a decision to really evolve the ballpark. And we're still doing it. There's a lot of evolution the ballpark needs to go through. But the decision was to really digitize it. And that went from getting rid of all our static signs, going to all LED ribbons around the bowl. And then there was this screen 
that had to come in. You remember the old screen, it was like a screen surrounded by static. Yep. And it was like, well, I guess they, I wasn't there for the discussion, but I guess they, what if we made it all digital, right? Yeah. It's massive. No <laughs> doubt it's over 17,000 square feet. Just to put that like in, into perspective, think about a home. It's, yeah, it's like so big. It's also five, four five times size of, of a normal sized home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. It's also 4K. So it's super, super sharp, like incredibly sharp. It's a lot of fun to think about what we could project on it and well, yeah. project, but what you could program it to. You know, we had a lot of fun filming our, what we call our take the field video. When the team takes the field, we did that at spring training. And if you've been to the ballpark, it's this really black and white with pops of color film that's, that's gritty. And it just looks super sharp on that screen. But, you know, what else can we do? It's not limited to baseball. Right. It's a giant screen. Yeah. Have you played Mario Kart or Call of Duty on it yet? Uh, we started. So the very first time we turned it on, we did put Mario Kart on it. <laughs> I had originally asked for Mike Tyson's punch out, but the 8-bit like Nintendo yeah. wouldn't really work on it. But I know I still remember how to get straight to Tyson, 007-373-5963, if anyone wants to know the cheat code. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, write that one down. Come back to that one if you need it. Yeah, that's amazing. Also gets a little less play, but the out-of-town scoreboard was also updated as well, right? Like that. Yeah, so so again, back to digitizing the whole, the whole park. So ribbons around the edge. The out-of-town scoreboard, ironically, we did last year. Oh, interesting. This year, yeah. what I did was I sat with the team and I said, how do we make it cleaner? And I think part of it has been legacy of things that have been always been up there. You know, yeah. the right field board in the Coke corner always had the line score, the batting lineups and everything. I was like, guys, we have so much real estate to play with. Let's clean it up. So the out-of-town scoreboard, we did a white background. We got rid of that little diamond of where the player is on the field. You don't need that. Mm -hmm. You need the score yeah. and the inning. Yeah. And if you're really that into the game, there's a thing called an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. You can look it up. You probably have the MLB um, app on your phone. Yeah, exactly. You know, for the right field board, we've always had the line score there and the two batting lineups and the pitcher's information in the center field board because it was smaller. It was just the batter who was up. We moved the line score to center field. Now we freed up more space. Now we have defensive alignment in right field. Things we could never play with. You realize as your canvas gets bigger, it's not about just moving stuff around. It's changing the thinking. And I think that's, that's yeah. the thing that I brought to the team probably the most. Like, I'm not from sports. Change your thinking. Think fresh. Think different. Strip it all down. Start over. What should the experience be? I use another one. You've come to City Field many times. On the exterior of City Field, there are banners mm -hmm. that wrap the ballpark. They're just like probably eight foot by three foot banners that you wouldn't even notice if you're not really a Met fan or paying attention. Up until this year, those banners have always been filled with the players on the team. Okay, well, right. silly thing. What happens if a player gets called up or player gets traded? We got to change all that. Right. The Met fans should pull up and see the experience of the history of the Mets. So instead, this year, we put pictures of all the great plays from Mets history lying in the ballpark. And we're soon going to activate them with AR. So when you hold your phone up, you can see the replay of that play. Very so cool. like... The ball going through Bill Buckner's legs. You're going to see that, you know, on your phone by holding it up to that banner. You know, just giving a fresh perspective is really what this has been all about and making people think like, 
what should it be and what shouldn't it be and what's possible? What's the art of the possible at this stage? It's a really important leadership moment, right? When you come in and, you know, why don't we do it this way, right? Where I think a lot of times the people that were there probably would have loved to do it. They just didn't know that they could change things, right? Or they, they were that's like, right. well, I think that's working, right? So a lot of being a change agent is not like ripping it up yourself, but it's more just, you know, advocating for the team and, and giving them the agency to go out there and do it. That's exactly right. And I think that's been, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking, guys, just because you've done it that way doesn't mean you have to do it like that way moving forward. Rethink yeah. it. One that I think is a little nervous about because Met fans are very, you know, they can be very traditional in their thinking and, and stuck, the championship banners. Mm, yeah. So um, they all look the same. They were white, blue type, orange outline, World Series, pennants, random division series winners, wild card. I was like, can we make a hierarchical change here? Our World Series should look like the classic look of white, blue type, orange. Yeah. Let's give our pennant winners its own look in blue. Let's give honor to when we've won the NL East. Mm -hmm. And then acknowledge when we've made the wild card. Like give it some logical flow. And everyone's like, everyone's a little nervous, but I was like, yeah. but that makes sense. And by the way, it's been embraced by Met fans because that feels right. Right. Yeah. It's giving importance to each and every event. Yeah. And it's not discounting the teams that, that didn't win the World Series, but it's giving a different level of priority and, and, and therefore rethinking and giving people the opportunity on the team to go, this is a new way to think about things. So, And that flies everything from the moment we start the game all the way through all the content we run. I mean, the ad campaign we're running right now. It's not showing highlights of players. Right. It's showing the fan experience. Yeah. It's showing a little girl looking for a donut and it says <laughs> snack time hits different here. Like that's, that's what this place is about. I, I, by the way, I do enjoy the tagline hits different, right? Uh, it, yeah. It's a good hit, hitting on Gen Z and hitting in younger millennials. I have full credit to, to FCB there. They nailed it when they came back with baseball hits different here. It, it's good. I like it. And so why should people come to city field? What, what's going on this year that makes it exciting? Listen, every day you're going to see something new. Baseball does hit different here. It's fun. You know, you don't enjoy baseball? Great. Come. You're going to have the greatest food you'll ever try in your life. You don't enjoy baseball? That's okay. You'll be with 30,000, 40,000 other fans who are cheering and having fun and drinking. You enjoy baseball? It's fun baseball. You know, there's always, my feeling on this stuff is there's always something to do. I go to a lot of things. I'm like, I'm not going to enjoy that. Yeah. And then I do. That's yeah. what this is about. Yeah. I, I love it. So Andy, I usually wrap up these conversations with, if we were to catch up in a year, what do you hope to be most proud of? I'm going to change the timeline. If we were to catch up late October, early November, what do you hope to be most proud well, of? Well, <laughs> I think you know what we hope we are. Let's just be clear. Yeah. Um, we're all thinking about my daughter's bat mitzvah. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, there's the baseball side. And yes, we all want to win. Absolutely. That would be absolutely incredible for the city of New York, the Met fans, everything. But I can't control that. You know, that's in, that's in the baseball team's hand. From a marketing perspective, I want people to constantly be saying, wow, the Mets are really breaking new ground. The Mets are doing new things with their brand. There is something unique and different at City Field. And it is truly exciting to go because I have such fun when I go. Again, win, lose, or draw, we never draw. Win or lose, it's fun. And I want to be proud to be associated with this brand 
just like I'm proud to take out my Amex card at dinner, you know, drink a Coke or, you know, go to Disney. Like I want to have that badge of pride with the Mets that I think that's what I want fans to feel like. And that's what I want anyone who steps into the ballpark to feel. Amazing. Andy, thank you so much for doing this. This was, this was a blast. I, I could honestly talk to you for hours about baseball and marketing. The brand is in good hands. I'm excited for this season. I'm excited for the many, many seasons uh, that are coming with you at the helm as the CMO and EVP of the New York Mets. Thank you so much again, and I'll see you at City Field. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Change Up, produced by Elena Weedlin, with original music by Rodney Hazard. If you liked what you heard, we'd appreciate your support by liking, sharing, leaving a comment, and subscribing wherever you listen. Thanks once again. Until next time.